going through the book of Acts, um, the life and the message, uh, that's, that's really the, the title of the message this morning. It's the life and it's the message. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, we realize that Jesus had these followers. He told them ahead of time he was going to die on the cross and then he was going to rise again. Um, he also uh, told them about uh, his death and his resurrection. You know, in this Memorial Day, we, we celebrate something. It's a, a memorial for those that have given life and time and service. So if you know people that have done that, um, I think that it's important to acknowledge that and, and also to pray for families during this time, even with, with military and those people that are away. But for me, Memorial Day is also a time of remembering what Jesus has done. And I think it's important for them in the book of Acts that this is very close to the time that Jesus just had risen from the dead. Um, Jesus ascended into heaven. And yet so quickly um, at this time, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. So what did God tell them to do? He told them to gather in one place and to wait for the power that he would give them. And when they waited upon the Lord, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. There was transformation. This was the birth of the church. Um, and then uh, there was, they devoted themselves to growing. So the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then uh, God healed. And an important thing to know, Jesus healed, right? When he was on earth, when he was walking around, he would heal people. But now he was healing through the apostles. He was also showing the body of Christ and he was showing people that even though Jesus had resurrected and gone to heaven, he was still present with them. And God is very alive today. And when we need healing and we need God's touch in our lives, he's just alive, as alive today as he was when he walked this earth. Do you realize that? Jesus, when he said, it's good that I go away, it must have freaked the disciples out. Like, hey, you're leaving us? You know, you're going away? And he said, it's good that I go away. Because if I don't go away, what did he say? The, the helper, the Holy Spirit won't, won't come. But when he went away, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is with all of us. And he's also um, not only given us every gift in the body of Christ, but God's power is still just as real today. And we're going to look at that through the life of a man named Stephen. So um, if we can go to the, the next slide, I wanted to show you something, this picture. Uh, this is a house. I, I don't know what happened to the house. Um, I don't know um, what, what type of uh, uh, disaster happened, but it's very possible that it just was structurally unsound. It, it's possible that the beams weren't strong or the foundation on that side of the house wasn't strong. And I think of this in Jesus' words when he said this in Matthew 7. Jesus said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now Jesus taught something to his disciples. When we hear the word of God, when we're hearing the Bible, we're hearing this being taught or we read it, we're hearing what God is saying and we do it then we're building our life on a foundation of Christ that is very solid. But when we hear God's word and we read God's word and we don't apply those things to our life, it's like a picture of this house and everyone sees what happens. And therefore, when there's a collapse in a person's life because of a, a disconnect between what they know in their mind and what they do in their lives, um, it's because it wasn't built on a solid foundation. Now, for those of you that have your life built on this foundation, you know that Jesus is real. You've heard his word and you've tried to apply his word to your life. You also know that even if you go through tragedy and disaster and trial and difficulty, that there's a foundation that is strong. And if you just think about this in the people that you know, the followers of Christ, I know people that have lost jobs and in some cases have been out of work 
for years, a year and a half, two years. I know one guy that sent in 700 applications, followed up with resumes, called, did everything he could, took classes. He was not lazy, and he was out of work for over 18 months. House up for foreclosure, um, kids not able to go to the private school that they were going to. Everything was seeming to implode except his life. And in his life, there was a solid foundation. See, when it comes to applying what we know to our lives, we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, and we're going to see a picture of a guy named Stephen, who not only knew the word of God, but applied it to his life so that the life and the message, they began to match. Now, let me give you some background in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 5, there was hypocrisy, but in Acts chapter 6, there were complications. And if you remember, it's, there were two uh, cultural groups within the body of Christ. There was the Hellenists or the Greek uh, culture within the church. And there was the, the Christians that were Hebrews and they were following the Hebrew culture. And there was kind of a division because those that spoke Greek, their widows were neglected and they felt that they were neglected. Uh, it doesn't seem like it was happening on purpose, but they brought this complaint to the disciples, the apostles. And the apostles realized that as the needs were multiplying, they wanted to make sure that these needs were being met. So they, they ministered together. And one thing that is very important is that whenever there's a complaint or we see that there's a need, um, what do you do with that need? What do you do with that area where there's, there's a need within the body of Christ? Uh, let me give you an example. Um, maybe you think, hey, wouldn't it be great if there were a group of people uh, that would go out and uh, that would feed the homeless together? There's such a need. Now, you could see that need, and it's easy to say, well, there's a need. And then you could easily bring it to the church and say, hey, there's a need. Why don't you guys do something like that? And I'll tell you a lot of times what my answer is, is amen, there's a need. Why don't you do that? And then organize it and bring some people along with you to do that. See, when they brought the need, what the disciples, the apostles did was they said, we recognize this need. They prayed about it. They sought the Lord's wisdom. And then they said, choose for yourselves seven men of good reputation. So they were uh, men of character and then also full of the Holy Spirit, whom we may appoint over this. So what were these men doing? They were administrating. Now, we don't see the word here, deacon, uh, in Acts chapter 6. But this is what they were. They were the first deacons. I want you to read with me something um, that it says here. Read with me what it says in verse uh, verse 3. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. They said, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So remember, they understood their roles in the body of Christ. The administration of making sure that these uh, widows were being taken care of and fed was something that is important to God's heart. But there were specific people that did those things. Now, in your own life, some of you are pretty organized to the point that you are so organized that you drive some people crazy. Uh, you, are, uh, you have your calendars and uh, you have a Google calendar and there are reminders for reminders. And they pop up and they tell you to remember that something is coming up in the future and you have to start kind of preparing for that. And you have charts. And in your home budget for your own family, your spending plan, you probably have a spreadsheet with a pie graph. And, uh, and you have everything organized and everything is just so. And, and if anyone borrows your car... And they, if you uh, even let them borrow your car because you're so uh, methodical, then when you bring it back, you, you want to make sure every, the seat, the mirror, everything is organized, all right? Some of you are the opposite. You know, some of you might be a mess. You know, you don't know what you figure out something is due that day because you show up to class and you realize the teacher says, okay, this is due today. And all of a sudden, oh, that's due today. Uh, um, you don't have a, a calendar. You, you just kind of wake up and you just, whatever the day has. Now, I'm not saying that uh, that's a good thing. I'm just saying that there's different personality types within the body of Christ. 
these people, these men had to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom because what they were doing was very practical. But I want you to see that the practical things are also spiritual. We shouldn't divide, oh, here's practical ministry and here's spiritual ministry. Practical ministry, we need to budget and figure things out and have a calendar. Spiritual ministry, we need to pray over people and anoint them with oil and lay hands on them and pray. They're both practical and they're both spiritual. And God has given gifts within the body of Christ. And if your gift is different than someone else's gift, it doesn't mean that your gifting is any less spiritual or any less important or any less valuable in the body of Christ when it comes to your intrinsic worth. So they had to appoint these men for this role. And the blessing came in that needs were being met. Um, The saying pleased the whole multitude. And then it says, and they chose, and notice in verse five, Stephen, and this specific description of Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the result, the word of God spread in verse seven, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we see what God is doing. And uh, this, this thing that is happening is both uh, spirit-led and it's also organized. Now, before we go into verses 8 through 15, we're going to look at this man named Stephen. And I think it's important that we look at what integrity is. In fact, if we could go to the next slide, it shows that integrity, the first definition, um, it's adherence to a code, uh, especially a moral um, or artistic value, incorruptibility. So someone that has integrity, notice it's adherence to a code. They hear the word of God and then they do it. Integrity doesn't mean that I simply know what God's word says. Integrity means I know what God's word says and then I put that to practice in my life. We can go to the, the second and third definition as well. It's um, unimpaired condition, soundness. Uh, it, it means that it, it's whole. It's the quality or state of being complete or undivided. So let me put it this way. Number four, it says, um, who you are when no one else is watching. When I was uh, in mathematics class, uh, I remember learning about these whole numbers and fractions. And now my kids, you know, different ages, elementary and junior high and and uh, they learn about something called integers. And what is an integer? It's a whole number. So one is an integer. What's a fraction? Not a whole number. Uh, one half, three fourths. It's where we get the word integrity. So that the word integrity means someone that is not fractured. Someone, it means that I'm not one way when I'm with these friends and I'm a totally different way Well, I'm with these friends. I'm this way at church and I'm this way at work. I'm this way with my family and I'm this way with people outside of the family. That's that's being fractured. A person of integrity means that who that person is, is who that person is. Now, I understand that, yes, um, you might be more relaxed around your family. There might be uh, some, some different ways that you act when you're uh, in a public role of administration that you, you have to put on that persona. But the integrity, the character of the person remains the same. And one thing that we see about the life of Stephen is that his message that we're going to look at next week, it matched his life that we're going to look at in these next few verses. In fact, if you would read it with me, Um, The ministry of Stephen, it's uh, starting in verse eight. It says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now, when we consider the ministry of Stephen, what was his role? He was one of these seven men that was chosen to help administrate the serving of widows. I I want you to think of it this way. He was both an administrator and a busboy. Now, maybe we don't say busboy anymore. We say busser. You know, it's more politically correct. But when I was a busboy, that's what they called us. I was a busboy at a restaurant. 
And at a restaurant, uh, maybe you remember, I, I don't know if this chain exists anymore. It's called the Velvet Turtle. Uh, for some of you that remember that, it was a kind of a fancy restaurant with a cloth tablecloth and cloth napkins. I got that job when I was in college because I wanted good tips because I thought, hey, high pain, you know, expensive restaurant, tips are going to be better. What I didn't expect is that so many of the people in that restaurant would be so demanding. They would uh, snap their fingers and they would look at me like I was a little bit less human than them because their coffee started to deplete and I didn't refill it without them asking, you know. Um, I just remember I was never more tested in any job as far as my patience than I was being a busboy. It it would almost be like some of them would snap their fingers... You know, like, boy, boy, you know, come here. You know, and they would, like, point to the water, and, and uh, then they, they want bread. I, I remember one time, and, and uh, the bread, so the, the cooks in the back, they were the ones that were responsible for baking the bread. And this one couple, where's our bread? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I walked in the back. Hey, uh, where's the bread? The cook said, oh, the bread isn't ready yet. So, okay, so I walked back out, and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, they're, they're getting the bread ready and they're angry that the bread's not ready. So, you know, it's not my fault, but, you know, what, I, what can I do? So I go out, and I'm, I'm serving the rest of the tables, doing water and, and filling coffee and drinks and all these things. So my waiter, the server who is responsible for them, and actually he's kind of like my boss, he's angry at me because there's no bread. So he said, hey, how come you haven't given them bread yet? And I, I said, well, uh, the bread's not ready. And he said, well, hurry up, go get the bread. So I go back in the back. Hey, where's the bread? And the cook say, hey, the bread's not ready yet. So, okay, I go back out and I keep doing my thing. Now the waiter is angry because his tip is going down, right? And so I'm getting a portion of his tip, but he's angry. He goes to the back to the cooks and guess what? The bread's ready. So the bread's out there. And, and he said, did, did, uh, did Matt come back here? And they said, yeah. And they wanted to cover themselves and not get in trouble. So they said, the bread's been ready. So now he brings the bread out to the people and serves the bread. And, and this scene is happening because uh, a friend of mine who is a Christian that I had met, he got me the job. He was at one of the servers there. So I'm in the back and the guy comes into the back and uh, the waiter does. And he starts yelling at me um, because I haven't brought out the bread. And he's yelling at me in Spanish, even though I don't speak Spanish. And, uh, and I, I even told him, I said, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't speak Spanish. And he keeps yelling at me in Spanish. And then I said, I, I don't understand what you're saying. And then he swips, you know, flips over to English. And he starts, I said, the bread wasn't ready. And then he looks at the cooks. And the cook's like, hey, the bread was ready. And then, the, so the guy's calling me a liar. And I had a tray in my hand. I was 19 years old. I slammed the tray down. And I walk right, I'm going to grab him. I'm about ready to physically grab the waiter. And my friend who's a Christian who got me the job is holding me back. And like, I'm hot under the collar. I'm so angry. I want to I fight this waiter in the back of Velvet Turtle because of my pride. And I'm so mad that, that he's yelling at me. And I want to tell you that as a Christian, my friend just, he's pulling me back. He whispers in my ear. And let me tell you what he whispered. He said, Matt, keep your witness. Keep your witness. And what that means is as a Christian, I'm supposed to display Christ-like attitudes so that the message doesn't get convoluted by my lack of integrity or the way that I live my life. And he just whispered in my ear, Matt, keep your witness. <sighs> Took a deep breath, prayed, calmed down. Afterwards, I, I talked to the, uh, the waiter and I said, hey, uh, you know, I was losing my temper and I'm sorry for doing that. I said I was really angry because this is the, the thing that happened. And he was real cool. We were fine after that. But I relate to Stephen and these other guys because it takes all of the Spirit of God to do practical, mundane things sometimes. Sometimes we think, hey, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you're going to teach the Word of God. Absolutely. You need to be filled with the, word, uh, with the Holy Spirit because you're going to tell someone about Christ. You're going to witness to them, absolutely. But let me tell you, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're going to be a busboy, if you're going to be waiting on tables, if you're going to be doing administrative work, if you're going to be doing practical tasks because people will get frustrated and things don't go exactly the way that you had planned. And, and what happens is if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then what's going to come out is flesh, What's going to come out is anger. What's going to come out is our, our temper. So Stephen, he was full of faith and power. And, and notice that he did great wonders and signs among the people. 
God was using Stephen in incredible ways, even though he didn't have the official title or role of apostle. This is so important because when we are making announcements of the school of ministry, we had this conversation. What do we call it? School of ministry. What is a school? It's a place where you learn. What is ministry? When you serve others. But I think in our minds, and here's the danger, when we hear school of ministry, we hear that's for professional people that have a calling on their lives to become pastors or missionaries full time. That's not what it is. Do you want to be a better teacher? Do you want to be a better wife or husband? Do you want to be a better worker? Do you want to know how to read the word of God and apply it to your life? Do you want to know how to be able to share your faith with someone else? That's what those classes are for. And see, when I look at a guy like Stephen, Stephen was a guy that was, quote unquote, a regular guy. (laughs) Um, It's funny how we have these categories of regular versus like spiritual. When I meet people, I, I very seldom let them know that I'm a pastor right away. And the reason is because as soon as they find out that I'm a pastor, their behavior changes. You know, they're cussing up a storm and they're talking about all these things. And then as soon as they find out I'm a pastor, it's like, oh, and, and they, they start talking different. I don't really know the real person. And, and it's important that we don't make that dichotomy. Yes, there are certain callings in a person's life. And, and they did submit to the leadership of the apostles because even when they brought these men, it was the apostles that laid hands on them and decided, yeah, these, these guys are the right guys for the task. But Stephen And these other guys were just as filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice that God was using Stephen mightily. Uh, The second point from this in in verse 9. We have this phrase, we have this term in Santa Cruz County. In fact, it's it's one of the most popular phrases, and you've heard it everywhere now. it's, It's huge. In fact, it's beyond Santa Cruz County. It's beyond California. It's the rest of the nation. It's spiritual, but not what? religious spiritual but not religious i get that spiritual but not religious but what they mean by that is kind of like it's what i want it's designer spirituality i'm not part of an official religion but let me tell you that the opposite is also dangerous and here's the opposite it's being religious but not spiritual and by spiritual i mean what paul wrote to the corinthians when he said some of you can't understand the things of god because you are not spiritual people And when we're not spiritual people, everything that we think of, the way that we see, it's only in the natural sense. Now, what happens is this group of religious leaders can't stand Stephen. They can't stand his message. They can't stand what's happening, which is kind of a crazy thing. So let's let's read this and we'll we'll get into what this means. It says in verse nine, then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen. There were Cyrenians and Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, and they were disputing with Stephen. Have you ever had religious people argue with you? Okay, even if you're not religious, you've had religious people argue with you sometimes, right? Uh, religious people, because they, they'll come and they want, to, they, they want to get into conflicts at times, and they come to Stephen and and these are from the synagogue of, of the freedmen. Um, they were those that were no longer servants. They weren't, they weren't slaves. They were supposed to be free. But I, I see a lot of bondage in their lives. I, I see a lot of legalism. And legalism leads to bondage. And let me explain the difference between legalism and just obedience to God's word. Um, when God says something in his word, he gives us a commandment. For example, um, one of the Ten Commandments is do not commit adultery. Now, in our culture today, there's a, a breakdown of marriage vows. There's a breakdown of what's sacred. There's a breakdown of what's, what's really important in a vow. So someone that says, hey, I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm, I'm going to be faithful to my, my spouse. That's not legalism. That's just good and right. That's pure. That's, that's honorable in the sight of God and of, of people, Right? But let me tell you what legalism does. Legalism comes along God's commandments and says, if you are a Christian, you're a Christian because you obey all of these commandments. Now, let me give you the difference between the two. 
if you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, if God is working in your life, if the Holy Spirit has changed you, uh, we call it being born again or regenerated, then we follow God's law because of what God has done in our lives. Legalism happens when we try to obey the laws so that we're trying to earn God's approval so that he will love us and he will forgive us. And we have it backwards if that's the case. We do what's right in God's word because he loves us and because his grace is offered freely. So therefore, I want to obey his commandments. I want to do what's right. These guys were religious, but they were religious, but not spiritual men as far as understanding the work of God and the way that the Holy Spirit was working. In verse 10, notice this. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Uh, without, without a show of hands, I just want you to think of a, an argument that you may have had recently. Now, I'm not trying to get you <laughs> angry right now, um, but I could think of some arguments that I've had recently. And I could think of arguments that I've had in which somewhere in the middle of the argument, I start to realize, oh, I'm wrong. Okay, so in the middle of the argument, I'm realizing, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm wrong in this. Or I'm wrong in my attitude. Do you know what I do sometimes? I keep arguing. I'm just letting you know. Because I, I don't want to be wrong. Like sometimes I'm arguing, I'm in the middle of an argument, I realize, oh, I'm wrong. And, and sometimes I'm just stupid like that, and I'll just keep going. For, and then the Holy Spirit will convict me, and then I go, okay, I was wrong, you know, eventually. Um, but I would really like to do that more quickly. I would really like to stop in the middle and realize, okay, I'm wrong, and, and kind of at that point in time admit it. These guys couldn't argue with his wisdom and the Spirit. So these guys, they're listening to Stephen. They're all, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. We can't argue with his wisdom. We better shut him up. That's what these guys do. It says they couldn't argue with the, they couldn't resist the wisdom. They couldn't come against it, the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So what do they do in verse 11? They secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Okay, he's starting to prove us wrong. Have you ever talked to someone that is in a cult? And you're trying to reason with them. And you're making sense. And the more that you're making sense, the angrier that they're getting. See, what's happening is these guys, the more that Stephen makes sense and they can't refute his wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke, they have to make things up. They have to build up some gossip against him. They have to slander him. They have to libel him in some way. And so it says in verse 12, they stirred up the people. And the elders and the scribes, so all these religious people, and they came upon him and they seized him. So they did to him what I felt like doing to that waiter, they, but they laid hands on him. And then it says that they brought him to the council. Now, again, imagine in your mind what this is like. Um, in our culture today, in our, in, where we are in America, there's, there's religious persecution. It looks different than it does in other countries. As of right now, People are still not grabbing us out of church, you know, out of a gathering and pulling us to prison. That's not happening right now. I thank God that that's not happening. But around the world, that's happening. And as much as we say, hey, I'm being persecuted, still no one is grabbing me and taking me over to uh, the council or to a court or, or to prison. Now, it can happen in, in ways soon, I believe, in our nation. But if you look at this, They grab him, they bring him to the council, and these are the religious leaders. In verse 13, notice, they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place, the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Now notice how they start twisting things. Jesus explained it already, and these are Jesus' words. He said, you know, um, this temple uh, will be destroyed, and in three days it will be, you know, reconstructed or be rebuilt. He's speaking of his own body. He would die and be resurrected. And then also when it came to the law of Moses, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law, 
But from now on, people that would be regenerated, born again by the Holy Spirit, these people would not be in bondage to the, the law or the system of, of the law. Now, there are moral laws and there are cultural and um, religious laws of, of worship. We, we don't have sacrifices anymore. You know, if you, if you go back to the Old Testament, they had, they had sacrifices. There were animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. They'd bring like the dove or a lamb to the priest and the priest would sacrifice that as a, a way of uh, pointing to God's forgiveness. We don't do that anymore. We don't have dietary laws. Now we have, hopefully we eat well because it's the right thing to do or it feels good in our bodies and it's good for us, but it's not a thing of salvation or it's not a thing of even showing whether or not I'm saved if I'm obeying those laws. But let me tell you that they said, hey, this guy's coming in and he's, he's uh, speaking blasphemy against this place and against the law. Stephen wasn't doing that. And let me let me just explain, you know, make sure that it's clear to us. If you try to follow Christ, there will be people at times that will come against you. And there will be people that misunderstand you. And there will be people that even say things about you that are not true. How do you respond to that? What do you do when that happens? And hopefully they're saying things that aren't true. If they're saying things that are true, hey, you know, he... He lies, he cheats, steals. If that's true, then there's a problem. But sometimes there's things that aren't true. And this isn't true in Stephen's life. Point number three, the man and, his, and the message. Notice what it says with me in verse 15. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. So here they are yelling at him. They're, they're accusing him of false things. They grab him. They bring him before the council. And what did his face look like? Like a face of an angel. His countenance. You know what I think? I think that what they saw in his face was peace. And if you're in an argument with someone that is really hot-tempered and someone that won't calm down, you know what makes them more hot-tempered? When you're calm sometimes, <laughs> you know, they want to, they want you to escalate right along with them. And if you just, you're just like, you know, looking at them with this peaceful face, sometimes they get some mad. These guys are getting angry and Stephen is just, he's at peace. Now he's going to go into this answer. Um, in fact, I just want to read the, the first couple of verses here of verse or chapter seven. And then next week we'll look at the message it says in verse 1 of chapter 7, Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And then Stephen said, Brethren and fathers. Notice the respect. Brothers and fathers. He's, he's giving them respect as those that are religious leaders and maybe those that are older than him. He said, Listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. So I want you to see this. Stephen is now going to give the longest sermon in the whole book of Acts. He's not an apostle, but he's gonna give the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And as he gives the sermon in the book of Acts, he knows the Old Testament, he knows the word of God very well. And let me, let me just exhort you. Let me just say, hey, it's so important for all of us to know the word of God for ourselves. Don't say, well, that's an important thing for pastors to know. That's an important thing for Bible teachers to know. That's an important thing for professors or people in seminary to know. The word of God is relevant for all of us. And Stephen is a common guy. He's a busboy, administrator type of guy filled with the Holy Spirit that absolutely knows the word of God. You know what so blesses me is when I see someone that is a self-feeder. And by a self-feeder, it means... You're coming here on a Sunday right now and we're opening up the word of God and you're reading it with me and you're, you're understanding it and you're, you're asking God for wisdom and the Holy Spirit is showing you some things. But if you're not a self-feeder and the only time that you feed is on Sundays, then you are going to be weak throughout the rest of the week. And throughout the rest of the week, when trials come, you're not going to be able to pull out the things that God is giving you, that manna for today, the daily bread that he gives us to help us to understand what do I need for today? 
You know what else may happen? Is someone might come to you with a problem and they need to be ministered to and they need someone to give them a word of encouragement. And if I haven't been reading, then maybe what I'm not reading is something that was for them. Have you ever read in the morning your own devotional time and you're reading it going, okay, and you pray through it and it doesn't really apply necessarily to anything in your life and you can't think of how it applies, but that day you talk to someone and the very thing that that person is going through is what you just read that morning. See, when we're in the word of God, as Stephen was, then when the trial comes, when the opportunity to minister to someone comes, when the need arises, we, we have this foundation by which we're hearing the word of God, but we're also applying it to our own lives. Now, when it comes to this, I think it's important that we understand that they had right priorities. And, and when it comes to our priorities, what is your priority of time? What is your priority of your relationships, of finances, of serving? In fact, if we could go to the, the next slide, it'll show some of these applications. And you could put all the bullet points up there if you want to. The first thing that, I remember I said at the beginning, we're gonna pray over some specific things. And this is the first thing. The first thing is regeneration. If you've never asked the, the Lord into your life, if you've never asked First of all, um, God to forgive you and and Jesus to take over your life. You've never said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I I want to receive you into my life. That's the first step. And that's what it means to be regenerated. Regeneration happens not because I, I follow God's commandments and I do a checklist and I make sure everything's right. Regeneration happens because I'm born again. The Holy Spirit begins to change me from the inside out. The difference is if I'm not regenerated and I try to follow the word of God and the law, I'm gonna become like these religious leaders in this passage. I'll be an angry, bitter person and I will look at other people that aren't obeying all of the commandments and not only will I judge them, I'll be angry that they seem to be joyful and getting away with stuff. And I'll start to resent, how come, how come he gets away with stuff? And I'm doing all this checklist. So the first thing is regeneration that spiritual rebirth. And some of you this morning, maybe that's the prayer, is that, Lord, would you, would you change my life from the inside out? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you lead me by your spirit? The second application is really, if we want the message and the person, we want the life and the message to match, then what we need to do is abide in Christ daily. Abide in Christ daily. What does that mean to abide in Christ daily? How do we do that? Well, one of the ways that we do it, in fact, the number one way is by prayer. You know what sets a person apart, I think, um, spiritually, that I I see relationship there in, in a person's life with the Lord is that they talk and they listen to God. Um, if you're only going through the motions, I'll tell you for years as a kid, um, I grew up, you know, going to the the Catholic church as a kid, not really understanding the Apostles' Creed. And if you know the Apostles' Creed, then you know that that is solid doctrine. This is the core of what we believe as Christians. But I repeated it because I had to do it for, you know, my uh, confirmation. I just, I I didn't know what it meant. I I learned the Our Father. You know, when Jesus taught us to pray, praying this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name of the kingdom. I I sound like an auctioneer when I used to pray the Lord's Prayer or the Hail Mary. I had a rosary and I had beads. And I I did a certain number because I would go and talk to the priest and I would have this confession and then he'd give me my penance and I would go out. And man, if I prayed those prayers fast, I was out of there in five minutes. You know, I could just like pray them really fast, boom, checklist, done, and I'm out. You know, I'm gone. But that's not abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ is that when I pray, I'm talking to the Lord, I'm, and then I'm listening. And you know what? It's worship. It's my heart and my mind being engaged in relationship with the Lord. It's not just a checklist of do's and don'ts. If we want our life and our message to match, we have to be abiding in Christ. And then abiding in Christ means I open up his word. When Jesus in John 15 taught about abiding, he talked about if you uh, obey my commandments, you abide in, in my word, if you abide in me. So this abiding means I, I gotta be a self-feeder. 
I got to open up this book and learn how to read it. And if it doesn't make sense to me, then, then maybe I need to, to sit in on a class. Maybe I, I need to ask someone to teach me. Maybe I need to get into a group of people that study the word of God together so that I could grow. But, but don't say, I can't understand it. So that's for people that can understand. And then someone will teach me. Because then how will you ever know what God is saying to you? How will you know if what I'm saying is even true? See, the Holy Spirit will teach you as you open up the, the word of God. That's abiding. The third thing, if we want our life and our message to match, is that in relationship, um, you know, Life Church on Wednesday nights has been great. I love it. I love going through the book of Judges. I love the fact that when we go through the word, hearing different people teach, it reminds us that the word of God is what's speaking and, and uh, we get together. So we're, we're taking a break for summer, but let me tell you one of the reasons why we're taking a break from Life Church. It's not just for the sake of doing it. Um, when I was a coach, there were workouts that my team loved and there were workouts that my team hated. Uh, we had these things. Um, if you're, you're a runner, you'll know it. You know what I mean? They're called fartlicks. It's a German word, but a, a fartlek is like six people that are running together. Let's say you're running for a, a mile or two miles. And what happens is you're running together and the last person sprints to the front. And then you run together and then the last person sprints to the front. And then the last person sprints to the front. And then the last, and, and it just keeps going. As you're still all running, the last person keeps sprinting to the front. And you know, if you've run those and your coach gives you a pace that you feel like throwing up every time you run those, because there's no rest, you know, you're jogging, but then you have to sprint to get up to the front and I'm not letting you rest because I have a whistle and I'm watching you and I'm saying, get up to the front. I'm blowing my whistle, telling them to speed up. And I have a time that they have to finish by. They hated doing those, but you know what? It was really, really good for them. If you have kids, young kids, toddler age, do your kids, maybe, maybe some kids do, but most kids hate naps. I think it's a boy thing. Maybe girls all, but boys hate naps. But you know, when your kid is getting grumpy and your kid needs a nap, he needs rest. You tell him it's time to take a nap. Why do we do life groups? It's because I believe that as a body of Christ, it is so important that we get out of rows sometimes and we get into circles and we spend some time with one another. Maybe you think, hey, but there's some people in my life group I don't like. Good. You know, they don't like you either. And you need to learn how to get along and spend time together because there's some things that they're teaching you and some things that you're teaching them. And I'll tell you what else happens in life groups is that, um, you know, we have some specific ones, one about parenting. It's not that Deanna and I have all the, we, we got it all down, you know, come to us for parenting advice. No, it's, it's, we're looking at the word of God. We're struggling. We're saying, Hey, this is what's working. This is what God's word says. And we're listening and we're growing together. And as a body, that little group that's growing together, we're growing as parents. How do we disciple our kids better? Our toddlers, our high schoolers, our, our junior hires. How do, we, how do we do this better? And all of a sudden, someone else shares something and the light bulb goes on. Let me tell you something else that happens. I get super encouraged when I hear someone else that is struggling with some of the same things I'm struggling with. And I'm going, wow, you know what? I'm, I'm, we're not alone in this. And so that's why we do those things. And, and maybe as part of the life and the message coming together, we need relationship because we need fellowship and we need accountability. So, um, you know, the, the, the group that's going through the book of, uh, I think, Tony, are you doing First and Second Peter? First and Second Peter, incredibly practical book. Um, as Pastor Bill taught through Second Peter, you know, one of the chapters last week, maybe you need to be in that group. So that you read it and then you talk about it, you pray about it together. So there's relationship. And then like I answered the question a couple of weeks ago, maybe you just need a group of two other men if you're a man or two other ladies if you're a lady that you want to get together. And this is a tight group, a smaller group that's just for some accountability. And hey, I'm struggling with this. Could you pray for me? Can we walk through this together? And then the last thing of application is this. Obedience to Christ moment by moment. Oh, on mission, making disciples together. Again, that comes with relationship and obedience to Christ moment by moment. Um, when we're on mission, God calls us to do things together. And I, I have a friend who, uh, his son right now is in pararescue. If you know anything about special forces, 
you know that if someone gets caught behind enemy lines, that pararescue is the group that they send in. And those guys, they parachute in, they swim in, they, they go to that group and they rescue them. And, and I was talking to him, his name's Eric, and there is a really, really tight bond with people that are in pararescue. And the reason why that bond is so tight is not because they like the same music. It's not that they dress the same way. It's not that they have the same favorite sports teams and hobbies. It's that they're on mission together. And when we're on mission together, it does something where we need each other and we realize, hey, we're all doing this together. And so obedience to Christ on that moment-by-moment basis, let let me close with this. In fact, if we go to the next slide, it's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. When the person, that's your life, And the message, it's what you say, are consistent. The person is the message. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he called them living epistles. You are living epistles. What is an epistle? It's a letter. So that if I want to know what a Christian is like, then I should be able to look at your life and you should be able to look at my life. And even though we're not perfect and we mess up and we fall short, that we even show you how to get back up when we mess up. We even show how to repent and how to, how to realize, okay, when I'm struggling, this is what we do. And so when it comes to obedience to Christ on a moment-by-moment basis, I, I talked to a friend uh, last week. He, um, he's a friend that meets with people and he counsels people according to God's word. And this is what he shared. He said, Matt, let me tell you what I believe is the biggest need in the body of Christ today which I believe is beyond just our church to all churches that follow Christ. It's this, it's taking what we know to be true and living it out on our daily, in our daily lives. How do we do that? I wanna tell you that when I study, like, like to study for this, to get ready for a message, yes, there's labor, there's study, there's, there's reading scriptures, there's looking at language helps, there's, there's looking at commentaries, at times there's reading other books, there's all of that. But I, I wanna tell you honestly what is much more difficult than what I'm doing right now teaching the word of God. You know what is way harder for me? What is way harder for me is Monday through Friday when I'm picking up my kids from school and I'm working on homework and we're doing things at home and trying to clean the house and we're trying to keep things in order. That is way harder because I love to do this. And this is something that it's a gifting and a calling in my life. I love to do the other thing, but I'll tell you, I struggle with a lack of patience at times. I struggle with frustration. I struggle with each of my kids having different needs and how to minister to each need. I struggle with, with all of those things. In marriage, if you have a disagreement with your spouse, you really struggle with that. If you have a friend and that friend has hurt you, based on something that they said or something that they did or didn't do. You know what's way harder than doing what I'm doing and teaching the word of God? What's way harder is forgiving someone that's hurt you. The only way that the message and the life are going to match is on a moment by moment basis that I abide in Christ. I'm in relationships with other believers that are helping me grow. I'm on mission, so I'm not just taking in, I'm giving out. And then I'm relying upon the Holy Spirit to say, would you help me? And I repent. Be a a consistent repenter. That means when you're messing up, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, that's the time to stop and say, oh man, I'm wrong. Lord, would you forgive me? Lord, would you help me? And then if there's something that you want me to do to make things right, help me to do that. And let me share that when we do that, we become the message so that it's not just what we say, but our lives become compelling to other people so that they want to hear. And we're not just telling them, they're asking us. Why are they asking us? Because they see something in our lives. They see love, they see joy, they see peace. They want that in their lives. And they even see us go through trials and have the face like Stephen, a face of peace that says, even though I'm going through this difficulty, I'm trusting the Lord. And so as we close in prayer, like I said, some specific things. As we pray, maybe there are some of you that your prayer is, Lord, I, I just need to be regenerated. Lord, I, I, need, I need an inside out change 
not adherence to rules or commandments. I need you to fill me with your spirit. I need you to change my life. I wanna be a follower of Christ. Maybe that's your prayer. There are others, maybe your prayer is, I need to be involved with another group of believers. Because what I do is I isolate myself and my Christian walk is my private Christian walk. My struggles are my private struggles. My mission is my private mission. And God tells us, no, we have the body of Christ because we're to do this together. And maybe your prayer is this. Maybe you need a group of people and you're, you don't know how to do that. You're afraid to do it. You think it might be awkward to talk about things like that, but you don't see the, the upside of how much you're gonna grow when you're around other people, how much they're just like you going through things and you could pray for one another and grow together. So as I close in prayer, those are some specific things. And remember this, as I lead in prayer, I'm praying for you, but I can't pray for you. And let me read again. I'm, I'm praying for you, but I can't pray for you. That means I'm praying for you. I'm interceding, but only you can talk to God and open up that communication. So let's pray. Father, first of all, there may be some here that need to be regenerated. They need to be born again. They need to experience the life that you give when you come into a person's life and change them from the inside out. And as we are praying, if that is you, would you open up your heart and by faith pray this, Lord, Jesus, come into my life and forgive me for going my own way. Forgive me for my sins and fill me with your spirit. Change me. And even though it's a scary thing for me, help me to surrender to you. And then there may be others of us that the prayer is something specific in regards to an area of growth. Maybe you need a a group to be a part of. Maybe there's a ministry that God is calling you to and you've been afraid. Maybe it's just the obedience to get together with other believers who are going through the same thing to grow together. And so would you pray with me, Lord, help me to see what it is that you're doing in my life. Help me to grow as a disciple. And by doing that, help me to be a part of making disciples. I pray that you would use me to bless others. And then maybe you are struggling with discouragement or sin or some area of life that is overwhelming to you and you need an accountability group. You don't know how to find those people and you're afraid of opening up and the Lord wants you to let down that guard and by faith to find a few brothers or sisters to walk through this with. And would you pray with me, Lord, would you give me courage to be real with other people, to be transparent, that not only would it be a blessing to me, but I would be a blessing to them. Lord, remind us that we are in this together. And then Father, for all of us, I pray that you would remind us that you have given us a mission to make disciples. That's not just for the few professional, so to speak, Christians, but Lord, you've given that great commission to all of your followers. So help us to be equipped and help us to grow together. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.